Our first lesson comes to us from the Psalms. This song of praise celebrates the precious blessing of unity. The first symbol that is mentioned, scented oil, symbolizes peace, health, and joy. When we experience unity, it is as if we were all being anointed with such lavish grace. The second symbol is of the dew that anoints Mount Hermon. Reaching 9,000 feet into the sky, Mount Hermon was perpetually capped in snow, and its water flowed down in rivers and streams. So it is that unity among us refreshes everyone around us. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us from Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running up down upon the beard on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen now to the word of God as it comes to us from the letter to the Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the first verse. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, all to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, may some word that is heard today be yours, that hearing we might be transformed into the people you would long for us to be. And all God's children said, Amen. I know we've spent a lot of time in worship lately talking about the state of our country, and no wonder, not since the late 1960s has our nation seen such intense violence and division. This last year has careened from Black Lives Matter protests to the riot at the Capitol, and then this week, this week, we learned the news that in addition to the five lives lost that day of the attack, two more police officers have died by suicide. The toll of the brokenness of our nation, the toll of our brokenness is heart-wrenching. Who have we become as a nation? And, and who do we aspire to be? Now, there's no doubt that that question will linger with us for some time. But, but for many of us, the divisions aren't just theoretical or national, are they? For many of us, this divisiveness is taking a toll on us personally in our relationships with family, friends, co-workers, even in our family of faith. So today, today I, I want to shift our gaze from the broad view of our national division to our relationships close up. How are these divisions manifesting themselves in our lives? And how do we as Christians respond in this moment? Well, I want to start. I want to start by reminding us how very valuable unity is. We know in part because of the toll disunity takes on us. I hear so many people talking about turning off the news because it's exhausting, and others unfriending people on social media because the vitriol is just toxic. Living on guard, living on guard for snubs and attacks, even when they're not against us, eats away at our spirits. And the opposite is also true. Unity is a balm to our souls. Unity is a balm to our souls. Today's psalm says it so well. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Living in unity allows us to set down our defenses in the safety of unity, we're freed to take in the beauty around us in sight 
and in song. In unity, in the safety of unity, we're freed to reach out to each other in their time of need. In the safety of unity, we're, we're freed even to name our own needs, our sorrows, our fears, our regrets, our hopes. How very good and pleasant it is indeed when we live together in unity. As Terry reminded us in her opening words before that first lesson, unity is like a fragrant oil of peace and joy, a lavish grace that we appreciate all the more now. And as Terry said, this unity isn't just good and pleasant for us. Our unity overflows with blessing, refreshing everyone around us, like waters flowing from the mountains into the parched desert. Unity refreshes all of our surroundings. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that feeling of peace when there is mutual respect, shared commitment, trustworthy promises, even the joy of laughter. This blessing of unity, its power to refresh our communities, is why unity is an essential part of our Christian identity. So what would it look like? And, and how do we get there? Our second scripture today offers us so much wisdom. The Apostle Paul, or, or perhaps a student of his, is writing to the church in Ephesus. The time they're in is apparently fraught. Their community is torn, their identity in question. As one scholar describes it, at a time when Christianity in Asia Minor was threatened by fragmentation and their heritage was in danger of being lost, the book of Ephesians calls Christians back to the basics of their existence, which which I confess sounds eerily timely. So what do we learn from them? What do we learn from their early divisions? There, there are so many lessons, and I want to touch on just a few. I want to begin here. If we're to be worthy of the name of Jesus Christ that we claim, then our life is to be lived with Humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I know you'll be shocked, simply shocked, that ours is not the first culture to veer into bragging and bossiness and impatience. 
The Greco-Roman world of the first century was steeped in toxic competition for political power, academic prowess, even religious popularity. The bifurcation of us and them, right or wrong, winner or loser, was rampant. Paul, or his disciple, is desperately urging the church in Ephesus to remember that this is not who we are called to be. This is not who we are called to be. They are not called to be right. They are called to be humble. They are not called to win. They are called to be gentle. They are not called to decimate their opponents. They are called to bear with one another in love. They are called not to act as children. They are called to grow up, to grow up in every way to the full stature of Christ. And, and moreover, Moreover, it is not just for the church's sake that they're called to manifest Christ's spirit in this way. Instead, Christ's gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry inside and outside the church. The saints, that is, all of us, are blessed to be a blessing, as scripture says, of God's first call to Abraham way back in Genesis. The saints, all of us, are called to keep building up, not tearing down. The saints, all of us, are called to maturity and love. The saints, all of us, are called to grow up, to grow up to the full stature of Jesus Christ, to be Christ's embodiment in our world. So how do we get there? Well, this is where I really love this passage because scripture gives us some very clear steps along the way. Now first, it says, first seek the truth. It's crucial. It is crucial that we are not naive or gullible, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, as Ephesians puts it. We cannot afford to be seduced into untruth. We can't afford to be seduced into untruth. And in our divided spheres, the most urgent work is to seek out what the truth really is. This won't be easy in a world where Kellyanne Conway named alternative facts, Stephen Colbert named truthiness, and then President Trump named fake news. In our world today, the, the spread of falsehoods is so rampant, our news sources are so siloed, the need for truth has never been more crucial. So that is 
our first step. Seek the truth. Seek the truth until we find out what it really is. And then, and then speak the truth. Speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. We, we have to speak the truth because, because unity doesn't mean just holding hands and singing kumbaya. But when we speak that truth, scripture tells us, it cannot be out of privilege or pride, out of arrogance or judgment. Instead, when we speak the truth, we must also have love or we will have missed the point completely. I think about, I think about so many families torn by political divisions right now, walking on eggshells, not talking to each other, or when they do, ending up screaming at each other. It is so painful. And when I see it, it takes me back to 1968, when my oldest brother came back from college. Now, in high school, Marty had been a Republican, just like both of my parents were. But now, coming back from college, he was completely changed. Dad might have called him mm, a long-haired hippie radical freak. <laughs> I will never forget the arguments that Marty and Dad had on the front porch of our house. They. <laughs> Both of them tried not to raise their voices, but failed. Both of them made their case heatedly. Both of them debated passionately. They never, ever came to consensus, never. They rarely liked each other, but in the end, in the end, they never lost their love for each other. And they always came in, came in and joined us at the dinner table. Seek the truth. Speak the truth. And speak the truth in love. Will it always work? Sadly, no. But if worse comes to worse, Christ gives us one more option. If all else fails, Jesus says, walk away. Shake the dust from your feet. But don't slam the door in their face. I want to close today with, with a prayer that is dear to me. A, a prayer I've had 
the privilege to share more times than I can name. It's a prayer of blessing said at weddings when a new family is created. But rather than just praying for them, for the newlywed couple, I, I see it as a prayer for everyone, for all of us. May it be a prayer for us today, for our family of faith, for our families of love, for our family of God, for us all. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, creator and preserver of all life, author of salvation and giver of every grace. Look with favor upon the world you've made and redeemed and especially upon our family. Give us wisdom and devotion in our common life that each may be to the other a strength in need, a comfort in sorrow, a counselor in perplexity, a companion in joy. Grant that our wills may be so knit together in your will and our spirits in your spirit that we may grow in love and peace with you and with each other all the days of our life. Give us the courage when we hurt each other to recognize and confess our fault and the grace to seek forgiveness and to forgive each other. Give us such fulfillment of our mutual love that we may reach out in concern for others and make our life together a sign of Christ's love to this sinful and broken world that unity may overcome estrangement, forgiveness, heal guilt, joy, conquer despair and grant that the bonds of our common humanity by which all of your children are united one to another may be so transformed, so transformed by your spirit that your peace and justice may fill the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.